This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Podcast. My name is Saul Monali, at Saul Monali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Adam Spolane, at Adam Spolane on Twitter. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's uh, It's been a long time. It has been a long time. So, Texas is starting opening up, and it, I feel like it's too early. Do you get that same sense? No. not. I, I don't know. I... You know, I, I look at data and I see data and some of it makes me think that we're fine and some of it makes me think that we aren't. I, I don't think there's an accurate way to tell, to be honest with you. Um, so I don't know. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not going to pretend to try. I'm not going to try to pretend to be one. Uh, but we've been going through seven weeks of this. And if people are getting stir crazy and people want to try and get back to normal, I, I completely understand 100 percent. So I'm not going to say anything one way or the other. Well, listen, I support the idea of eventually opening up, and obviously this is not healthy for anybody, um, but the, but it just it just seems like we're, we're a step to, like, we're one of the first states to open up, and, and that to me is, like, we should, at the, at the very least, we should be one of the middle states to open up, because we're so big, and obviously it hasn't impacted Texas as bad as it's impacted other states. But you know, all these doctors keep talking about how there's this, there's going to be the second wave, and it, it's just it just has me a little paranoid, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I mean, in all honesty, at, at this point, it almost feels like there's always going to be that lurking threat until there are zero cases or until there is a vaccine, and so you're talking maybe a year until that happens. So, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things. I don't know. I, nobody has been able to really tell me when is it okay to open up? Like nobody is it when the threat is completely neutralized because that might never happen. So I, I don't know the answer to it. I guess the answer is like maybe when there, when there's enough testing, but like there's no number that'll tell you when there's enough testing. Exactly. Because you could have enough testing. You still have to be able to test everybody. You can be able to test everybody every day. I mean, that's when you have enough testing. And of course the answer to that is no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and for some optimism, uh, I saw an article on the Washington Post yesterday that Dr. Fauci believes we can get a vaccine done by January, which is a lot earlier than what a lot of the medical experts had predicted. But if we can get a, if we can get a vaccine by January, like that's that, that that makes me feel really good. 
I got a, I got a hundred bucks to whoever comes up with one by September. I'm just saying, hundred bucks. It's yours. <laughs> Get to work. No, no, I, I, hundred percent agree. But yeah, I mean, listen, like, it is what it is. We are opening up. It's, uh, I guess the next step is for us really is when do these sports start to open up? I think that's a longer conversation because you're talking about obviously the interaction these players have with each other, but not not only that, like, you're talking about trying to find the right environment and will there be fans? Won't there be fans? I think, I think it's pretty clear at this point that there's not going to be fans and you know, there is there going to be run up to the playoffs. Is there not going to be a run up to the playoffs? How many playoff games are we talking? Like, like there's still so many undecided questions there. I don't think the NBA is even close to deciding it. And you know, there, there's still the looming possibility that we don't even have a season this year. Like I, the, there's still that possibility that, this all gets scrapped and we move into next season and possibly starting in December of next year, we start the 2020, 2021 season. I think they've got about two weeks to try and figure it out. Um, and, and then the thing is, well, if you do have a season, at what point do you start worrying about next season and blending into next season? They're already talking about moving the next season back to Christmas, which is fine. But let's say that you start up a season in July, you still have to be done in September. So, you know, at what point, what, what is the end date? What is, what is the lockdown end date have to be for this season to avoid running into next season? So those are the other questions. I mean, there, it's a logistical nightmare. You have a league that has basically had the, had the same exact calendar for as long as I can remember, and now it's being completely interrupted, and nobody knows what it's going to look like moving forward. To your best guess, do you think we'll have a run-up? Yeah, uh, I do because I do think that some I think that players want to play, um, and also there's there's a money aspect too with some of these other teams, just because and and I don't know the legalities of it exactly, but you started hearing it this week that these RSNs, you know, AT and T Sports, the Fox Sports South or whatever, you know, has you know the Hornets games or, or wherever, they are basically guaranteed seventy games every year. If you don't get 70 games, then the team has to give some money back. And these teams are already strapped a little bit when you consider that they haven't been able to play games with fans for you know the last quarter of the season. So to have to give back more money hurts them a little bit more. So if, it's, if it involves sticking all these teams in Orlando for a week and a half and they've got to play X amount of games, then I think that they kind of just have to do that. These are all, all these guys are professionals. They're all getting paid. You might as well earn the rest of that paycheck. Yeah. The Orlando idea was interesting because I, I do, I really never thought of the idea of uh, the NBA using that resort for uh, finishing out their season or anything. We, the NBA has never done anything in Disney world. And uh, you know, that, that, that's just an interesting possibility. Like, there, that is a lot. That's a huge plot of land, by the way, that if they can get that all to themselves, like, like I, you can see the logistics working out easier than perhaps work in like a city like Las, Las Vegas. Because Las Vegas, there's just too much chaos, and you can't isolate the land. But with with an, a situation like like Disney World in Orlando, like that is a huge plot of land that is basically isolated from from everything else, and you can you can find a way to perhaps get the players in their own separate sections of that of that area. Yeah, Vegas is impossible. When you consider just trying to keep people away from everybody, you have too many tourists. Vegas is not going to just shut down for the NBA. That's not happening. You got the hotel but, employees too. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. But with Disney, you know, Disney is going to be empty. Nobody's traveling to Disney World anytime soon. 
And the fact that it's that Disney and uh, owns the NBA's most important television partner, that makes even more sense. And, you know, there's some motivation, I think, for all sides to just get this to get this done so that you can at least say that we finished the 2019-2020 season and has some finality to it. And, and so you have two sides that are just kind of, I think, all looking for the same goal. Yeah, none of these playoff teams have any incentive not to finish off the season. Like, there's just too much money on the table for all. You don't have to finish the season. It's just, hey, let's play. Everybody play five games. Are you talking about like the season as in the playoffs or the regular season? The, the playoffs. The playoffs. Oh well, yeah. everybody wants to get this done. I mean, everybody wants to play. I, I know they, there was a story about how some agents or and executives don't want them to play again. They need to play again. They there's too much money involved not to. Yeah. And, and you'll get a lot of upset teams and executives if they don't finish off this season. And so th- that's why I ultimately think, and, and there's also the financial incentive there. Like, like they need to recuperate some of the money. They're gonna, they're not gonna recuperate it. Uh, they're not gonna recuperate all of it. They're just, there's just gonna be a hit. There's gonna be a, a loss. There's the salary cap's gonna take a, a bit of a dip, but they can re- recuperate a significant amount of it. And this is the best way to do it. Um, so I'm actually pretty excited about today's game. We're doing Rockets at Blazers. From December 9th, 2017. It's an easy one to forget because it sounds obscure, but it's really good. Let's quickly discuss like the backdrop to this game. So the Rockets trade for Chris Paul in the summer of 2017. And to me, one of the more shocking events in franchise history. Like it was a massive trade, several players involved. Like the Rockets used their cash considerations uh, to acquire players from other teams to make the salaries work for this trade. Do you remember where you were and like your immediate reaction to the trade? I do. Uh, I was at a gym in Idaho Falls when uh, I saw the initial tweet about the trade. And let's just say it kind of ruined the workout. I uh, kind of <laughs> got into writing mode and trying to formulate thoughts about the trade. Uh, you had heard there there had been a run-up of buzz about the Rockets and Chris Paul. Uh, but the way that it came down, you know, on a, I think it was a Wednesday morning, it really took me by surprise. Yeah, and in fact, the night before, Mark Stein had had a report that the Rockets and Chris Paul's camp were heating up, and there there was real incentive for the Rockets to meet with Chris Paul on July first and get a deal hammered out. And like the the Rockets were willing to do anything at that point to get Chris Paul, like they were willing to salary dump Ryan Anderson and and tr- sign him outright on July 1st if they could. And, you know, like that that obviously would be much less beneficial than ultimately than what they did because they and with this trade, they, they ended up keeping their salary cap exceptions, their mid-level exception, their biannual exception, and they used that to, to, to re-sign Nene and get P.J. Tucker on his really, really cap-friendly deal, uh, which obviously worked out really well for them that season. Um this, this was this. I remember where I was. I, I was at uh, ESPN and Five. I was at their station helping them out, and the trade happened. And I remember I was the first person in that studio to find out. And I and I, I just yelled. I I don't even know what I said. I just made a, I just made a noise, and everybody looked at me kind of strange. And I just I kind of just showed them my phone, and it, it it was like you didn't expect it to go down as quickly as it came down. Like to me, th- that that's what I remember most about that trade. Like it happened so quickly you didn't even think there would would be a trade much less that fast well he had he could have opted out and become a free agent and the the, the rockets could have gotten him that way i mean it, it felt like one way or another the rockets were going to wind up with chris paul it was just a matter of would it be done through a trade would it be done through free agency 
and they got the trade done, which obviously, like you said, it, it kept the it, it gave the Rockets some options moving forward uh, in that offseason, really just in, in that next week, because as soon as they got Chris Paul, well, then you started hearing about Paul George, and then there was the uh, Carmelo Anthony stuff. And, and then once, you know, everything had kind of been tied up on those ends, although the Carmelo stuff lasted for a while, but then you got into free agency with Andre Iguodala and P.J. Tucker. And so it, it made for a very fascinating week just because this was a, a Rockets team that had finished third in the West. They had really the ugly collapse against San Antonio. And so you weren't really sure exactly what was going to happen after that. And it led to really a fascinating season. Well, it's interesting because I, I felt like that season before was like their audition for free agents, right? Like I, I felt like like the season before that, like two years ago where they went 41 and 41, that was, you know, a black eye on the franchise and they they really needed to recover from that. And, the, the, you know, obviously they did. They won 55 games, made it to the second round. Ugly exit, but ultimately a good season. And I don't think Chris Paul comes if not for... Uh, the season they had and and you know what they what they had to show for what they did I mean they they were a team with lots of really really quality role players and obviously James Harden on the roster and Mike D'Antoni and like it it was an attractive situation for Chris Paul who had just gotten eliminated uh, again to the Jazz in the second round first first right yeah I completely forgot about that he got yeah he he got he got eliminated in the first round Uh, the guy Clippers team was really banged up by the way but it felt like the, the the chapter on that Clippers team was was done. It was over. Uh, and it, one way or another, they were going to have to rebuild. And the, they saw an opportunity with the Rockets to get something back uh, and get, you know, a lot back. Like the Rockets, a lot of the Rockets' key role players are still a part of that really, really good Clippers team. Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams. A lot of the reason the Clippers are so deep right now is because of that Chris Paul trade. Yeah, it was it was just it was just shocking how quickly things developed. So Chris Paul signed with, Chris Paul signs with the Rockets. Obviously, he gets traded to the Rockets. The Rockets have the rest of their free agency. They get PJ Tucker. They get Luka Bamute. They get uh, Nene. And I was really excited to see how this end out. Like to me, I just had a lot of doubts about the fit in terms of like the usage rate, right? Like I just thought those were two high usage players and I thought the fit would be a little clunky, but Chris Paul could shoot and so could James Harden. So there was optimism there. I ultimately sold myself on it. And, you know, everybody was really excited to see this thing go. And Chris Paul gets injured on night one. Well, he Uh, was hurt before that. Yeah, yeah. He he injures, uh, he bangs his knee. Uh, I think it was like a a a knee contusion, right? A bone bruise or something? Well, he had gotten hurt during uh, the preseason. Because he was hurt for the last preseason game. And so there was some question of, of whether or not he would even play that first game against the Warriors. And then he made it worse in that game. And then they, right. they won without it. him in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, that's another amazing game that we'll talk about later in this series. But uh, So the Rockets are basically forced to play the first month of the season without him. And are actually playing pretty well. You know, They weren't playing great, but they were playing well enough to be like a top four seed in the Western Conference. But... Chris Paul returns, and it's like nitrous oxide. Like, they win eight games in a row coming into this game that we're going to talk about. All of them were blowouts. Not one close game. And the Rockets are staggering Harden and Paul, and it's working really well. But we're not getting a chance to see them play together in crunch time because they don't have to. Like, they're they're just playing so many blowout games. Like, we never have the opportunity to see them on the floor together much at all. 
And people who were skeptical of, of this pairing to begin with were talking about how it, it could, you know, fall, it could get ugly if they have to play a crunch time game. And there, there were questions about how the two would share the ball in crunch time. And so that's kind of like the backdrop to this game. Do you, do you remember all that, by the way? Um, not necessarily with the the stuff in season. I remember certainly the question marks about the pairing and how that would go. Um, I, I remember the first time that I had heard about the possibility of them getting Chris Paul. I thought that it was it made no sense. Um, this was James Harden coming off of an incredible season, best year of his career. This was the whole James Harden is our point guard season that Mike D'Antoni had declared. Now all of a sudden you're going to take him off that position and, and take him off the ball. And then I started thinking about it more, and I bought in. And I understood exactly what they were trying to do, trying to get a secondary, trying to get an extra ball handler, somebody who can actually make plays because you saw how James Harden kind of wore down towards the end of that Spurs series and you realized that he needed help. He needed, and it was more than, hey, we, we need a guy who can shoot or we need a guy who can defend. It's we need a guy who can go out and make plays for himself and for other people. And that was one of the things that you lacked with Patrick Beverly. That's one of the things that you kind of lacked with Eric Gordon to a certain degree. And to have somebody at that sort of a level on that team, it really helped them a lot. And I don't think that, I think that that is James Harden's best season. And I think that there is a direct relationship to James Harden having his best season and Chris Paul joining the team. No, I agree. I 100% agree. And he, he defensively, it was, it was clearly his best season to me. And, you know, the, what you talked about, about him playing point guard, that's the year before was kind of the reason I was skeptical. Like it really felt, felt like he felt, he found his place in the NBA. Like, okay, James Harden's a point guard. It makes sense. He plays really effective under Mike D'Antoni in the system. So now you feel, to me, the move was in that offseason, fill out the roster around him, get some really quality wing players, and then you're good to go. And to, to for the Rockets to make a gamble like that, like, like I remember there was an article when, when the summer, when the, the finals ended uh, about the Warriors and how a lot of front offices were kind of rethinking the way they approached the Warriors. And Daryl Morey had kind of teased this. Like he said he had something up his sleeve. And um, he talked about how he was not going to back, like the Rockets were not going to back down from the Warriors as a franchise. They were going to directly go at them. And you kind of wondered what, what he really meant by that. And then this trade comes down. And obviously... Uh, it works out really well the first eight games, but again, they had their their competition to, up until that point. Like they they played the Nuggets, but the Nuggets weren't the Nuggets they were today. They played the, uh they played the Grizzlies. They played they played you know the Pacers. They played some you know competitive teams, but not really like a really really good playoff team. And there I, was a Utah game. I think it was right before this Portland game. The Utah game, right? That 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 was a that was probably their their best opponent up until that. But point. but even that point. The Jazz were not good at the start of that season. Um, I believe the Jazz were some like eight games under 500 at one point in January of that year. So it's not like the, the Utah was good at that point. But yeah, eventually the Jazz, would that would look like a really good win. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code 
blue wire all one word all caps join today and receive your new welcome bonus bet online your online wagering solution they say a healthy gut means a healthy you favor apple cider vinegar shots bottles this feeling into the convenience of a two ounce shot better digestion stronger immune system and lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkfavor.com. Again, that's drinkfavor.com. Now back to the show. It was one of those things where like we were still trying to gauge how real is this, right? Like like how real is how uh, is how effective the Rockets are playing. And this game was, uh, to me, the real culmination of Harden and Paul. Like, like this was like their first really good game together in crunch time. Like they, they hadn't played crunch time minutes up until that point because they were staggering all the time and they were blowing these teams out. So that's the backdrop. This game was really, really fun to rewatch. It was really close, but the Blazers, you felt, had control of the game for the majority of it, like 75% of the way through the Blazers had a lead, even an 11 point lead as, uh, at the end of the second quarter. And going into the fourth quarter, 945 left, they had a, they had a uh, 11 point lead again. And the ni- at the nine minute mark onwards, Harden and Paul share the floor together. So this is kind of where we, f- we first get to see them together. And you also notice too, who's on the floor with them at the end of that game. And part of it is that, um, Yusuf Nurkic did not play in this game, but so so Portland really isn't playing center, and so the Rockets are countering with that, and so you are kind of seeing the beginning of the small lineup in this game. Yeah, and you saw it a little bit in that first game against the Warriors, but you didn't see it with Paul, right? Because Paul was injured by that point. So the, we, we, this is like the first time we get to see their crunch time five against a good team. And see it used pretty effectively, and I, I think the, the the Blazers were playing like Noah Vonley uh, and uh, a bunch of guys who weren't fit to play in this kind of a system. Like they they could not, like perimeter wise, they could not defend the Rockets, and the Rockets abused this this point. Like they they hammered home going after Evan Turner and and Noah Vonley and sometimes CJ McCollum and Dame like it, like the, the Blazers had nobody to properly defend these guys at the perimeter so the Rockets were searching out these weak defenders and constantly attacking them pick and roll isolation over and over and over again and, and this was kind of the first time we saw how this would work together when Harden or Paul didn't have the ball they would stand in the corner and they would wait for the ball to come to like they they'd be a catch and shoot player and the other the other player would isolate and break down his man and get to the rim and and what was interesting to me is there wasn't a lot of jump shooting towards the end it was just constant drive to the rim cuz nobody could stay in front of these guys like again we're talking about Noah Vonley we're talking about Evan Turner guys who are not known to be good defenders these Harden and Paul were just constantly breaking these guys down off the dribble and there was no rim protection either because you have Nurkic not playing, Mo Harkless didn't play in this game, and, and so I mean Portland's talking about you know they're sticking Myers Leonard out there. He's not guarding the rim, uh, but this was the beginnings of, of what the Rockets were trying to build and and what turned them into the best offense in the NBA that year. And then they understood, and it's what made them very different from the Warriors, where the Warriors were constant ball movement. 
they understood that, hey, we've got two of the best isolation players in the NBA. We're just going to let them do what they do best, and it worked. And I'm not sure anyone thought that that sort of an offense could work in today's NBA, and it, it turned out that it could. Yeah, your turn, my turn was mocked, right? Like that's not, that's not like traditionally that's not thought of as a good offense, but it worked. But it worked for the Rockets. It was like constantly isolation, pick and roll. Your turn, my turn with Chris Paul and James Harden. And back then, Chris Paul like he had a really strong first step. Like he still has a good first step. Don't get me wrong. At age thirty three, he still has at age thirty four. Excuse me, he still has a really good first step. But back then, like two thousand seventeen, eighteen, like this is. Probably one of one of his final prime years, and he was really, really good. That first step was was crisp. That crossover dribble was really effective, especially against slower defenders. Like he just constantly got guys, um, and it was fun to watch. Like, he, like the Rockets, like this was a really fun game in general. Like it was close all the way, but to see the Rockets battle back from eleven point lead and they end the game up winning by by seven, like that, like that, that to me is what like. It was it, it was an eighteen point swing. Well, they, they outscore Portland forty to nineteen in the fourth quarter, and you talk about the whole your turn, my turn getting mocked. A big reason of that was because of Miami and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James doing that in that first year with the Heat, and that turned out to be kind of just a, a clunky offense. But part of that was there was no spacing on that team, and you didn't have a lot of shooting. Uh, you had. Uh, Wade and LeBron, neither one noted three-point shooters, especially LeBron back then. Uh, but then you have Chris Bosh, who did not shoot threes at that point. They're playing Joel Anthony. They're playing Mike Bibby. They're playing Mario Chalmers. And there's not a lot of floor spacing on the floor for that Heat team. This Rockets team had a ton of spacing because Harden's a great three-point shooter. Uh, you can't leave him. Chris Paul's a great shooter. You can't leave him. Can't leave Eric Gordon. You can't leave P.J. Tucker. So that's another big reason why it was able to work is because of the guys that they surrounded uh, those two guys with. It also worked the other way, like versatility wise, they were really good defensively. And and I remember the Rockets particularly liked the look of Luke and Bamute in some of those closing lineups instead of Eric instead of Eric Gordon. So it was like three wings. It was PJ Tucker, Trevor Ariza, and Eric Gordon and Chris Paul and James Harden. And and it was it was a nice switchable defense that I, I mean how many points did they allow in that fourth quarter? Nineteen. Nineteen. That's really good. That's really good for any quarter, and against this Blazers team, like this Blazers team was killing Houston that first half. Like that, that this this game was not particularly impressive defensively for the Rockets for those first three quarters, especially that first half. Like they were well, just, they were just torching the Rockets. Fourth quarter, Clint Capella played zero minutes, so they played small the entire fourth quarter. Uh, Nene didn't play either, so. They play so of all those guys in the fourth quarter it was Harden, Paul, Ariza, Tucker, Gordon, Bamute. So it was those six guys playing the twelve minutes. So that's what twelve times five is what sixty minutes right there. So they combined the sixty minutes with just those six guys. So you did not have a center on the floor. You just had a ton of shooting all over the place. And as we've seen, this is not a fun team to play against when they just have shooters all over the place. It was really fun, by the way, to watch guys like Nene still be good and still be effective. Like, like Nene had some really impressive plays in this game. It's just kind of a blast from the past seeing him like effective offensively in pick and roll situations. I mean, this was easily Houston's best team. I I, I think you could make the case that, and obviously a lot of people re- would refute this because they never won a championship. But this might be Houston's greatest team in franchise history, at least regular season wise. I don't think you can name a better team. 
Well, regular season, no doubt. I mean, the they won 65 games, and before that, no team had ever won more than 58. Um, I'm not – listen, obviously, it gets tailored because they didn't win those last few games. But it's, I don't think it's a completely off-the-charts thing to say that this team is the best team in franchise history. It's just that the team that they lost to – also happens to be maybe the best team in NBA history. So I don't think there's any shame in doing that. I mean, you know, the Rockets, you look at who they beat in the playoffs in, in the 90s, the Warriors are going to hammer all those teams. Um, whether it's Utah, the Stockton Malone Jazz, the Barkley Suns, Patrick Ewing's Knicks. I mean, the Rockets in 94 did not have to, or in 95, they did not have to get through anybody that even approaches the 2018 Golden State Warriors. So I, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that it's the best team in Rockets history. Obviously, you don't have the end result, so that hurts the argument. But you just look talent-wise, you got the MVP of the league on that team. You have Chris Paul playing at an elite level. You have... Yeah, Chris just, Paul was still like a top 15 player at this point. Oh, he, he was outstanding. And he was, for the most part, he was healthy. I mean, he missed the 14 games at the beginning of the year. But after that... Uh, he was playing just about every single night. I mean, they would keep him out here and there, and there were games late in the season when they when he didn't need to play, and they would manage them a little bit. Uh, but he was healthy. He was really effective. He was really good for most of that postseason. Uh, it, it's just it's all about those last two games for him and for for that team, and that kind of alters what could have been a really incredible legacy for that group if they could have beaten that Warriors team, which I think is possibly the best team of all time. Yeah, if they if they win the championship, this goes down as one of the greatest teams in NBA history. Sixty five wins plus going through that Warriors team, like that 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 to me is a really impressive resume. There's obviously a lot of teams that have a case for that, obvious obviously. But yeah, I mean, in terms of just sticking to the Rockets, like it's tough to it's tough to say, right? Because the rules are different, right? And that Rockets team was constructed in a completely different era than this Rockets team, and. I don't know, like, I personally, like, I, I watched I watched a lot of those games. Like, I, I obviously didn't get to watch a lot of those games live. But re-watching some of those 95, 96 Rockets teams, like, I I like the versatility on this Rockets team a little bit better. And talent-wise, I think this Rockets team is just a little bit more top-heavy. Well, obviously, Akeem, there's no... Yeah, Hakeem is the greatest Akeem, player in franchise history. Yeah, And he's playing in any era. I mean, yeah, especially defensively. I mean, offensively, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a challenge with post-ups and, and fronting the post and doubling post and things like that. But I think that you can certainly make an argument that is the best team in franchise history. I, it's impossible to say, but, man, this, this team was really good. Um, they, they really had no weaknesses. I mean, there really was not a weakness on this team. They all meshed together really well. I think it, it's one of those, just from a from a front office standpoint, it's a masterpiece. Just of putting together a roster, and it's not like they had a ton of resources to go with. It's not like they had just tons and tons and tons of cap space. It's not like they had just a bunch of draft picks that they could make work. I mean, they had some assets, and they were able uh, to put those together to get Chris Paul. And then they spent money smartly. They spent money smartly with with pj tucker and part of that is a little bit of luck because pj tucker does not come there if it's not for chris paul so yeah he turned down money from yeah Toronto. And, and so you'll hear you'll hear people say well the chris paul trade was a mistake because you look at the totality of what they gave up and lou williams and montrez harrell and patrick beverly but you know beverly wanted out 
Lou Williams just didn't really fit, and I don't know how much they really believed in Montrez Harrell. And so it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, those three guys are the same here as they are in L.A. I think it's impossible to say that. And then obviously you have to add in Tucker. So you don't get Tucker without Paul. Uh, so it, it, in essence, it, it makes the trade worth it. But oh, along just the lines of, of what they got, I think that that group unlocked something in James Harden because I think that people don't quite understand just how much chemistry mattered to that team. And that team was very close. And, and I don't know what happened at the end with Harden and Paul. I don't know if we'll ever know. And we'll never know really why it went bad at the end the way that it did. But just being in that locker room that season, the vibe was completely different from the year before. It was 100% different with the way those guys interacted with one another. It was just a happier room to be in. And I think that when you bring in Chris Paul, and then you bring in guys that he knows. I mean, he had played with Luke Bamute. He had had played with Trevor Ariza. Him and Trevor Ariza are very close Chris Paul and P.J. Tucker grew up together in North Carolina. I think that mattered a lot, and that team held each other accountable the way that I don't think that we have seen from another Rockets team, at least in the Harden era. And they weren't afraid. You know, If you didn't do something right, they would call you out on it. And I think that that's the sort of thing that, that really good teams have to have. Yeah, and all those players seem to be in the physical peak of their career, right? Like all those guys, like there wasn't a hint of decline at that point for all those guys. Like those guys were all really, really good at that point of the career. And by the way, Luke Mbamute might be like one of the greatest veteran minimum signings in NBA history. Like that, he was so good, dollar for dollar for what they got him. Like that, it was just a ridiculous. Like even at the time, I remember being like, "Hold on, what? They got him for a vet minimum?" And, and it really helped you know, make that Rockets team so effective defensively. Obviously, he didn't get to play in the playoffs, but he was really good for that Rockets team overall throughout the course of the regular season. That, that shoulder injury is another what-if for that Rockets team. Well, yeah, that, that that's the big one. I mean, what what if he doesn't bust his shoulder again in Game 81? It, it, it's all about that Game 81. And then there's also just the what-if. Maybe, maybe they rushed him back. Remember, he was back for Game 1 of that Utah series, and they probably didn't need him for that Utah series. It was probably all about the Warriors series. So you wonder what happens if they kind of wait on him a little bit. No, 100%. Yeah. I mean, like it, it would have been interesting to see how Luke and Mute would have affected that series. If he was healthy, I, I, I have no doubt that he would have been effective, whether or not that would have been a tipping point with Chris Paul already out in terms of them being able to win. I don't know, you know, who's to say, but yeah, I mean, going back to just comparing this Rockets team to that to the 94 95 Rockets like I, I really do think Hakeem would be able to to be really effective against this Rockets team like, like w- watching old Hakeem tape like he's just so quick like his feet move really really well like I don't think there's any question as to whether or not he'd be able to stay on the floor perimeter wise I think he could switch in this in this era I think he was that good defensively he could run the floor really well so it's not like this team could beat them in transition um, I would like to see that. Uh, obviously, we'll never get to see it, but I, I would just like to see uh, how this Rockets team would fare against that Rockets team, and, and particularly how effective some of those old players would, would work on the floor in, tw- in a 2020 offense. I would like to see a, a post-up driven offense, how that would work in the NBA today, because the rules were tailored back then to where it's a lot easier to post up because of the illegal defense rules. The illegal defense rules are now very different um, now than what they were back then. 
Uh, so I, I do wonder, and I don't know if we'll ever get the chance to see it, but will you ha- will you ever have a player? Can you have a player that can get 15 post-ups a game? And can you just go run down, have him get to the block, and run your offense from there? Uh, defensively, Hakeem would be fine. Defensively, Hakeem would be elite still. I just, wonder how it would work, I just wonder how it would work with post-ups. Yeah, Hakeem has a case to be possibly the greatest defensive player in NBA history. That's not exaggeration. Like, he was that good. Like, he he's... His his footwork in general on both ends of the floor just so impressive even today. Like there there are guys on tape from the nineties that don't age well. Hakeem is one of those that ages really really well. Hakeem Jordan Barkley those guys all their film ages really really well today. They translate really well. Uh, I have no doubt that those guys could play in today's era and be really really effective. But yeah, um, it it would be interest. It would be an interesting what if uh, th- this Rockets team was just ridiculous. I mean, it, it just it was it was so deep. Like Mike D'Antoni could go to guys on you know eight, nine, ten of the roster, and then they got Gerald Green uh, on a buyout midway through the season, which was really really good for them. No, he was. It wasn't about. Did did he come from China or was it a buyout? No, he was just sitting at home. Yeah, he was sitting at home. Right, right. He was sitting at home playing. One on one basketball with his dog. He he had gone to camp. I think it was with Milwaukee, and they had released him, and he was without a team. And the Rockets were in a stretch where they just had a million guys hurt, and they needed a body. And there he was, and he he earned his way into the rotation, and he stuck in there. And I mean, yeah, they could go ten eleven deep. I mean, when you look at they added Joe Johnson uh, at one point, and he wasn't you know a huge factor and what they did in the postseason, but it was, he was a guy that at least Mike D'Antoni could trust if he needed to, and that sort of stuff with him, I think, matters more than just about any other coach out there. Um, so uh, you just wonder, and this is a whole other discussion, but you know they talked about, hey, hey we're going to run it back, and <laughs> you know they, they re-signed Paul, they, they re-signed Gerald Green that, on, on that uh, Saturday night, and they let Trevor Reza go. And I think that that's one decision that they probably – uh, should regret at this point. I, and I've talked about that a ton over the years, but I just think that it was a huge mistake to let Trevor Reason walk. And there's, and I think you could see that just in the next season. Well, listen, we've had a ton of arguments about this Trevor Reason thing for the past couple of years. So I do not want to rehash it. We, we don't have enough time. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 there, it, there, are inter- there are a lot of interesting what-ifs with this team. It, it, it just would have been nice to see uh, this version of Chris Paul won a championship because he was so damn good. Like the, this game in particular just showed off how quick he was still at age 32, like off the dribble. Chris Paul was still really good. And this version of James Harden, I think was easily the best version of James Harden we've ever seen. Like, he just rounded off so well on both ends of the floor. But yeah, this was fun. This was a this was a really fun game to watch. Uh, I, I would like to see it run on NBA TV if, if possible. It's not like they have, content for days right now like they, it would be great to see this game be replayed um thanks for coming on uh, yeah of course do you have anything to plug i have nothing <laughs> well that's not surprising thank you so much yeah of course all right that was episode four of the rockets rewind series with adam spolane rockets at blazers december of 2017 really fun game really fun recording this episode with adam I told you guys we are not going to stop podcasting during this very strange time period. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoy the show. And yeah, guys, good night.
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.